Dave, bonjour. Hi. Oh my gosh. How are you? I am in Montreal. That's why I said that. Yeah, you are. There's a there's a picture of Renault behind you. That is how. That's how Canadian this moment is. It is. Love it. But I, well, so let's. I mean, listen. I don't want to keep you away from the the resort lifestyle that you're in right now. Oh, I, I can't. Yeah, I, I've turned into a different person. I've been paddleboarding all day. Come on. Uh, it's really the dream. I love it. I. But there, there is nothing I would rather have taken a break for than this particular interview. So excited mm -hmm. about our guest. Uh, she's a TV writer and producer who has worked on Dear White People, uh, Love Life, and The New Queerest Folk, which we're obviously very excited to ask about, mm -hmm. uh, and many other things. Jacqueline Moore. Hello. Hello. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Now, you are in New Orleans. I am in New Orleans right now. What brings you to New Orleans? So this is where the new Queerest Folk is set. Um, and therefore I am here. Uh, I have that lovely trans lady growl going today. It's uh, mm. it's Kathleen Turner by way of New Orleans nights. Um, <laughs> I love it. It's, a, it's very sexy. It's going to it's perfect for it's a perfect radio voice. Fantastic. Um, yeah. So I moved down here. Um, we start shooting in October. I moved down here uh, a few months early to write here because uh, I had never been here as a trans lady um, and being queer in New York, which I was familiar with for many years. And Los Angeles is very different than being queer in New Orleans, I assumed. And then upon living here, I found out that was true. Um, and so I am uh, I'm very much enjoying it, mostly, mm. as my voice indicates. Yeah. Um, say, yes, that, that is a voice that has had some fun in New Orleans, I hope. Yes. Um, so tell, say more about what is the, 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 the sort of um, different version of queer that you've discovered in New Orleans. Well, I guess there's like two things. The first is that, you know, queerness in New York and L.A. is pretty um, assimilationist, I would say. It is the culture, or at least it's Cult, the main culture adjacent, if it's not the dominant culture. Whereas in New Orleans, there's definitely a healthy queer scene, but that queer scene is like living side by side with a bunch of people who are like very openly hostile to it. And as a result, that um, the queerness here has a little bit more of a defiant quality. It's less, right? It's less assimilationist. It's more like middle fingers in the air, which I I love. Is mm. cool vibe actually for um the other part of it is for trans people you know i don't know if you guys have heard but it's it's really a great time to be trans in this country mm. like definitely no problems people love us yeah. smooth sailing what a breeze yeah from the government to like just regular people on the street people are so nice um no it's it's a nightmare um we're like i would say 30 years 25 to 30 years behind the gay rights movement um down to the fact that like so many of the things that people say about trans folks uh are exactly the same things that they said about gay folks in the early 90s um and specifically i would say um, being trans here versus being trans in new york or la has been interesting because i would say that it is both new orleans is both more welcoming of trans folks and decidedly more hostile and dangerous to them um, and I think those things actually go side, like go hand in hand. 
because in LA, I had beer bottles thrown at me on the street. I had street harassment. I had, you know, people are shitty to trans people. But the general public, the people I was interacting with in my day-to-day life, they at least have the shame that they're not supposed to hate trans people anymore. Like, they still Mm -hmm. do privately and, like, in little side jokes with people and are shitty and whatever, but they kind of know they're not supposed to. And, but here, uh, people are, like, very open about the fact that they don't like you, they don't get it. They sort of... You know, I always say it's the second misgendering that tells the story, like the first misgendering. Like, look, I live in a society. I understand that I'm six foot four, um, which means that when I was presenting as a male, I said I was six five. And once I transitioned, I said I was six three. Um, (laughs) But um, I'm six four, which means that people are going to assume and obviously have still have masculine features in a lot of ways. And um so I, I, the first time somebody misgenders me, I don't totally mind. I will correct them. But when they do it again, after correcting them, that one sort of tells the tale. And uh, there are a lot of second misgenderings here. There are a lot of like immediate like, mm. yes, sirs, right after I like clarified. Um, and then just like hostility coming out of ladies' bathrooms. I was like thrown into a wall of a bar walking out of the women's room by some kind of good old boy jesus was like are you trying to fuck my woman it's like he didn't say that but that was like the tone i was like no i was trying to be and uh yeah so it's just um but the other side of that is because that hostility is kind of so surface level from a lot of people and because it's a tourist town so like not only you have people coming from like sort of all over the queerness and the the, the queer community here is super welcoming and super like I don't want to say mutual aid heavy though it is, but has that sort of like, we take care of our own vibe. So I feel very like embraced with open arms by the people who do sort of want to embrace. So it's sort of like the, it goes hand in hand with like the way queerness is sort of different in New Orleans than it is in, in other places. Mm. Is it still kind of ghetto wise to the way that it was? Or it, like, that's been my understanding is that there is queerness exists yeah. in a few physical pockets yeah i think that's true i mean i don't granted i don't know how much of this is me coming here on the hopefully tail end of a pandemic or or just the healthy middle of a pandemic but um it does feel like they're they're it's not as there are pockets but it's not like oh we're in the gay part of town like there are a few little corners where it's like you know you have oz and parade and good friend and corner pocket all these gay bars they're sort of in one part of town, but then there are little places all over the city that are sort of queer friendly. There's definitely a sense. I had dinner with a trans friend last night and we were laughing about when we go out with our cis lady friends um, and they want to go to like straight bars and we're like, no, thank you. I would rather, I would rather not do that because it is just you, you do. Whereas in LA, I would not have that fear of going to a straight bar and have and do. But here, there's definitely a little bit more. Um, you just got to be more careful. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a it's an odd, and it's the South. Like it's still decidedly the South. Orleans Parish is definitely better, but a lot of my trans friends down here uh, have been like, "Don't leave Orleans Parish. Um, stay uh, stay here." And and so I do. 
I'd love to know. I'm, I'm sure while you're while you're traveling and shooting, you're you're not having time to watch anything. But when you have had downtime recently, what you've been watching or consuming and and loving during the pandemic? So I'm behind on White Lotus, though I am too in, and I really have enjoyed those two so far. But I I've missed the Twitter conversation about it, which I kind of enjoy. I feel like I'm watching it a little bit in a vacuum. Let's see what else have I been watching? Oh, I loved Kevin Can Fuck Himself was like a show that I think really people slept on and I loved on AMC, um, the Annie Murphy show. That show really, beyond just being like wildly daring, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, wildly daring from a format, a uh, defying kind of way, bouncing between a multi-cam sitcom from his perspective and a more, you know, somber, hour-long drama from hers, that show was just, I thought, incredible. And, uh, gave me like breaking bad vibes in a way that I haven't had in a long time. So I really love that. And then um other than that, I'm watching a lot of movies. Being away from home, I like definitely find myself going down like classic movie binges where it's like I'm doing Billy Wilder right now, who's my favorite. Um and that's just like, you know, The Apartment's my favorite movie of all time. Sunset Boulevard's up there, you know, like uh some like it hot. As a translator, you know, it's problematic, but we love yeah, it's um and even that it's like not really problematic. It's like so loving. <laughs> it's or it's right. Right, right. Oh, the line in winter, the uh Peter O'Toole, that's not really Wilder, but the Peter O'Toole Kath, uh Catherine Hepburn movie is one that I've been watching a lot lately. Just comfort kind of classic comfort movies that also are inspiring to things that inspire me to write, things that I'm yeah. like, Oh my god. Can we get can, can we imagine? just in a practical sense get back to how you are avoiding the Twitter chatter about the White Lotus, because it is, of course, deafening. You are active on Twitter. I saw it an hour after the rest of the world, and I was like, what if I look at my phone and I find out what happened? What do you do? Do you mute words? Do you mute hashtags? Do you... I don't what do mute do? words. I would say that I I handle it the same way that I handle going home to see my conservative father, which is that I just let it go in one ear and out the other without really taking it in. Mm. So I'll see somebody talk about White Lotus and like poop or something. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know what that means yet. I don't really mm-hmm. care. I'm just going to let that go. Okay. That's for the best. <laughs> yes. I also don't, um, I'm not a big believer in spoiler culture. Like I sort of feel like things are, if something's good, it'll work when you know the ending. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm one episode behind, and I, and I feel like uh, Twitter is a landmine. So yeah, I can't I can't imagine the level of stress you're under right now, Matt. I really can't. I <laughs> very really intense. Can't. It's very intense. In some ways, that's nice because it's been a while since there's been a show that everybody watched on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, so like it's it's sort of nice to have people worried about spoilers again, even though I don't really care. Yeah, it's like oh, remember when life was normal and this was the thing we worried about. Yeah, God. You know, it's, I I will say, if you're, you would be, I guess, three behind then. Um, Watching more than one in a row, I don't advise. There is a rising level of dread that I don't think the body can handle right now. (laughs) That is honestly something I love Mike White's work. And in general, with his work, I find, I've always found, I love Enlightened so much and find it impossible to watch more than one or two at a time because I like, Mm -hmm. when I've done like rewatches, I'm just like, I, this is, too much anxiety for me. Like I can't, I I can't uh, 
I have enough anxiety in my life. I, 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 I need devils. Um, yeah. I, I did a, an enlightened rewatch inspired by White Lotus and it, God, it, it holds up. It's just so good. And, um, the, the episode where she, her mom just wants her to help her with her flowers and she's like off on hold. And, you know, of course, by the end of it, she comes home and I was in our, uh, uh, garage gym working out like drenched in sweat, just like disgusting watching the, the weirdest thing to be watching while you're working out on my iPad. and my boyfriend comes home walk, from walking the dog and is walking past me and sees me sitting on a bench just sobbing. He's like, what is going on? What a just Mike, strange Just sight. Mike White. Just Mike White. Just got Mike Whited. Got Mike Whited. I want to ask about your your tattoos. I mean, I want to know about the ones that we can see on your arms, but also the, the ones on your fingers spell out art isn't easy. So yes. tell us that story. There, I feel like if I had to sum up both my gender and my sexuality, it would be the fact that I have a Stephen Sondheim knuckle tattoo. Like, I feel like that <laughs> says it all. It's a lyric from Sunday in the Park with George, uh, which is my favorite piece of writing ever. And it's a good reminder as you're trying very desperately to get scripts out and you're working long hours and you look down and you're like, that's right. Yeah, it's hard, but it's supposed to be hard. I always think about this moment this is random, but from an episode of The West Wing a million years ago, where Rob Lowe and uh, Richard Schiff are trying to write, and they both are like sucking, and they like can't get the speech done. And at one point, one of them goes, oh, "I, I'm sure, like we had our talent here, like we must have left it somewhere. Like where, did, where did it go?" And I feel mm -hmm. like that's such a universal experience of being a writer is like having these moments of being like, "I used to be good at this. Like I know there was a time." Where I was good at this. I don't know what happened, but it's gone now. Yeah. So art isn't easy. Is like a nice little reminder. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, like it's your talent's not gone. It's just hard because it's supposed to be hard. What are your strategies for pushing through, other than having a reminder in permanent ink <laughs> on your body? Uh, yes, permanent ink on my body is a big part of it. Um, watching old movies. I mean, again, watching. Actually, one of the things I do that I really find helpful. This is like my favorite advice to give writers is find an artist, regardless of like what medium you be it songwriting, TV, movies, whatever, books, find an artist you admire, you love, your favorite person who wrote your favorite thing you can imagine, and then find their worst work. Watch that. So like Billy Wilder's my hero. I'll watch Avant or Fedora. And, you know, you watch those and you're like, all right, I can do that. Like. I can't, when I watch the apartment, I'll be like, well, that's fucking genius. That was like sent to earth by a muse. I don't know how anybody does that. But if you watch, yeah, if you watch Fedora, you're like, I'm pretty sure I can figure that one out. I mean, even like, I don't know. I just feel like that is such a good reminder that genius is not a permanent condition. It is a thing that we stumble into. And, and that's really helpful when I'm struggling is that like, yeah, everybody who's ever been good at this has also been this at this. Yeah. Even like there are Shakespeare plays that I think are trash. And like, then there are ones that I think are the greatest thing ever. So like, that's very comforting. I find that very comforting and very like, yeah. again, like Sondheim, my hero, the greatest, I will not stand roadshow, you know? Um, and he reworked that show many, many times. And it, I, in my opinion, never really worked, but he also made Sonny the Mark of George and merrily we roll along, which people would say is a disaster, but is something I think is actually a genius, is a, brilliant piece of 
theater. And like, I don't know. I just find that, I find that idea comforting that like the people that you admire most also sucked. Yeah. Yeah. I, my, I, I do a similar thing, which is just watch something absolutely mediocre and, and remind yourself they finished it. They finished it. It's so true. It's That's so right. true. The number of times I watch, I, I totally agree watching, like turning on TNT or something and just mm-hmm. seeing what action movie is on at like two in the morning when I'm up late mm-hmm. trying to write and being like, whatever Gerard Butler is in was they done. They mm-hmm. finished it. And there's, yeah, there's like a two page monologue where somebody says made up scientific words and, mm-hmm. but it's on TNT right now and somebody's getting a paycheck as we speak. Somebody's getting so. a paycheck. And while that actor is delivering it, there's a craft service table with a bowl of M&Ms and there's 100%. like, you know, there are a million studio people ready to, you know, market it. And it's like, it got done. It got done. Yeah. It's, uh, it is also that William Goldman thing of like, I feel like always, everybody always points out the like, well, no one knows that, but nobody knows anything mm-hmm. in Hollywood, which is true. But I feel like people always point that out to me, like executives don't know anything. Like the, the network doesn't know anything, which sure there are moments where we all, I think everybody who's worked in TV or film or the studio doesn't know anything. Um, we've all had those feelings with executives at times, but the other side of it is like, we don't know anything. Like, mm-hmm. and if no one knows anything, then like, why not this? Why isn't this good? Like who's to say? And also the number of things that are, dismissed as trash and then discovered as not later and vice versa how many things are come out and we're like oh my god they're genius and then two years later we're like we we really all loved the artist like that was the best movie really yeah you know i would say crash but i think at the time we all kind of knew that was trash but like that was (laughs) bad news matt It's summertime. Summertime is when I like to kick back with some friends and grab a few cold beers. I like to hang out by the pool, float in a little floating thing, put a put a nice Miller light in the drink holder, drift in and out of naps and conversations, listen to good music, solve the problems of the world. It's uh, it's just a good time to be alive. And Miller Lite really kicks it up a few notches, if you ask me. That's right. Because when you're craving good vibes and great memories, you grab your friends Mm -hmm. and you grab the beer with the taste you can depend on. And that beer is Miller Lite. Here's why I gravitate toward Miller Lite. 98 calories, still tastes like beer, and like 3.2 grams of carbohydrate per can. If you are being mindful of your carbohydrates, as we must be, especially us type 1 diabetics. Absolutely. And by the way, yes, and it's not 98 degrees, it's 96 degrees. I just have to clarify, even even fewer than than we thought. I mean, 98 calories, 96 calories. Wow. It's 96 It's 96 calories. calories. 98 degrees is what we're listening to when we Thank drink you. a Miller Lite. Um, that one, that, that, ooh, Give Me One More Night, Una Noche. Mm-hmm. It was, it's kind of a coincidence that that song came out in the wake of like Ricky Martin and Mark Anthony. It's just, it's like, it was a coincidence. Like sure. suddenly they sing their songs half in Spanish. So that was, they had been meaning to do that the whole time. And it's just like a coincidence yeah. that it happened right after Ricky Martin, but whatever. Anyway, 98 degrees, folks. That's what we're here to advertise, <laughs> but also Miller Lite. 
everything changes, but you can still depend on the taste of Miller Lite is the original light beer. They came out into the marketplace. They strutted out onto Main Street in 1975. The first light beer. That is bravery. And that is what makes it an easy choice. The next time you are getting ready to enjoy cold ones with your crew, go to MillerLite.com forward slash homophilia to find delivery options near you. Or you can pick up some Miller Lite pretty much anywhere they sell beer. But the bottom line is it's Miller time. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Booyah. Do you have a favorite objectively bad thing? Ooh, that's a great question. Favorite objectively bad thing. Yeah, you know what? It's not. But here's the thing. I actually, it's like a reclamation thing. It's not, I actually don't think it's bad, but it is thought of as bad by much of society and certainly by much of like, you know, our artists and whatever, which is that I am a, I love professional wrestling. I love it. All I think right. it's brilliant. All I right. think it's well. a, um, I think it is an art form in a piece of, it is a style of theater in the same way that like Commedia dell'arte is a style of theater. Like it has archetypes and there are tropes and there are people who are very good at this specific kind of theater. And it is a combination of dance and, and acting and, uh, uh, all of the above. I, I think when it's done well, it's, it's pretty, uh, transformative as a, as a style of theater and as a communal experience. And so I, that is something that I am spend a lot of my time watching and, and enjoying. And I think part of it's because it is so disparate from what I do. And yet there are moments that feel like, Oh my God, this is fucking art. And yeah. yet mm. most of the people I work with or whatever, would just be like, that's stupid. And it's like, is it, is it though? Is it? And the answer though? is yes, but kind of delight, delightfully so. But also, yeah. Also wildly popular for a reason. It is giving 100%. people something. I've I've given uh, I've given Monday Night Raw a couple watches in the last yeah. in the last year, and it's I mean it is so I mean the storylines are so dense and go so far back that it's almost impenetrable. But it's, it's interesting. True. Well, and that's why I mean we can get into it, but like AEW, which is the new kind of the new wrestling company. Mm -hmm. um, that's on TNT now is I think sort of like hitting a point where it's like pretty transcendently good. Um, really? if, and is early enough in that like you can catch up pretty easily and they're like kind of blowing up and they're telling simple stories, but like beautifully. And they're like really wonderful. I would recommend anybody go, go to YouTube. And I feel like this is like a great thing and, and search for uh, Eddie Kingston, John Moxley promo. And the two of them cut promos on each other in the ring that are, I mean, it's just, it's like theater class. It's like two people being like emoting so hard and like, so, right. and it's all, you know, they all, it, it, and the big difference right now between the two companies is that AEW is much more, the wrestlers are kind of writing it themselves and are improvising and are, you know, whatever. I mean, they, obviously things are like pre-planned, but like, it's much more like there's like a purity of the of the art form whereas wwe is treated a little bit more like a tv show where they like script mm -hmm. it all 
And uh, as a result, there's like a magic to what they're doing. So that's my objectively bad thing that I think is actually objectively good, but people don't. Eddie Kingston and John. And John Moxley. Moxley. M O X L E Y. It's. If you think I'm not writing this down right now, you're out of your mind. It is a. The, the promo the two of them had leading up to, I think it was full gear or something. It's just like, it's beautiful. It's, it's so good. Great. I'm so in. <laughs> I know it's, um, it's so dumb, but I love it so much. The, the thing that blew my mind the last time I watched, I believe it was Monday night raw. There was a female wrestler and in between, in between fights or whatever, um, she had an in-ring talk show, like Ding Dong, Yes, oh, Hello, Bailey. Hi, or something. Ding, ding okay. Dong, Hello with Bailey. She's amazing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I was like, I don't know what I'm watching right now, but I can't take my eyes off it. It is It is part, I mean, that's the thing is it's part sketch show. It's part, but it is, what's weird about it is, I think it's also because I come out of theater originally, like that was what I wanted to do. And I find it, and obviously anybody who's wanted to do theater eventually come to this problem which is that like nobody goes to the theater like that's it's not the defining form of our culture and even as like a playwright like tv is the closest thing to like what we think of as like old school play like playwright driven theater it's like it's a writer's driven medium it's and every playwright you know everybody from annie baker to i mean like they're all tv writers now too yet you'll turn on you know, AEW Dynamite on Wednesday or Monday Night Raw or Friday Night SmackDown. And you're like, they're selling out an arena full of people who would never come see a Sondheim show, whatever. But they are filling an arena and they're seeing people give monologues, do sketches, dance, basically. I mean, like, it is a populist form of theater. And I think, especially post-Trump, populism as an idea is something that like i think we're all very like ooh, i don't know about that yeah but populist art i think is um can be beautiful and wonderful and there's something that's why like pop you know poptimism as a sort of mindset about music i know some people find it reductive and like the dumbing down of culture but i don't think there's anything wrong with treating like carly ray jepson like she matters as an artist and i Thank feel you. like the same thing is kind of true with pro wrestling sorry carly ray jepson but i think you and pro wrestling are equally valid on an equal footing you know what you said wednesday it happens to be wednesday so that is that's what that's what's wednesday night dynamite tonight, tonight. tnt right? so you're welcome tony Khan. <laughs> sold so we we gotta ask you about queer as foe yes um you know i, I the original, of course, was about a bunch of cis white gay dudes. And I am assuming that the um, new version, there will be a different approach. I'm assuming that it was important to you to approach this from a different angle. So what could you tell us? Yeah. Wouldn't it be crazy if I was like, nope, just all white gays again. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're like, same guys, actually. No, we just think like they have to be hot. And which is why we said it in New Orleans, a traditionally white city. No, I am. Um, yeah. So Queer as Folk is an interesting property. I hate using that term, but it's an interesting like cultural object because it was really important and it was super like what it did for visibility was huge. And like, that's all great. And yet I will say that I am not a huge fan of the American version of Queer as Folk slash Canadian version of Queer as Folk. 
I love the original British version that starred Aidan Gillen and Charlie Hunnam. I think that there's only like 10 episodes and it's like perfect start to finish. It's incredible. I'm like very punk and very like defiant in a way that the American version wasn't. And that's not to like shade the American version. It's just more my taste and more Stephen Dunn, who is the creator of this new version um, and the person I'm co-show running with. Definitely more to his taste as well. So we have definitely taken our our lead from the British version in terms of, at least in terms of like storytelling tone. And then, yeah, it was very important to me, obviously, that very important to me that it not be all cis gay guys, not be all white people, not be all, you know, one of the main characters is a trans woman, which her, her the trans agenda is alive and well. <laughs> but uh, being played by J- uh, Jesse James Keitel was just announced yesterday, um, who is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant actress. And it's, it's very, it's the first time where I feel like I have a, you know, everybody was doing like, who would play you in a movie thing yesterday? And I was like, well, Jesse kind of is playing me. <laughs> like, so she, I finally have the hotter TV version of me. <laughs> Not that the character is explicitly based on me, very different, but certainly has some things in common with my life. And so that's interesting. But yeah, I think the bigger thing is trying to tell stories about queer community and chosen community and chosen family. And yes, keeping the sex positivity of both of the original versions, while at the same time trying not to live in a world where it kind of feels like a a bad music video for those sex scenes. Um, And instead trying to capture something a little closer to, you know, indie film aesthetics, a little raw. We want it to have that grit and i mean new orleans is an interesting city in that it is both very gritty and very like you know the streets are full of potholes everything is there's a sense of it falling apart and yet it is beautiful and it is performative and it is colorful and those things kind of live side by side and i think that is a vibe that we are trying to capture along with you know as i talked about earlier with the specific brand of queerness that's here the sort of defiance that is, you know, Southern queerness versus, you know, a more cosmopolitan queerness that you'll find in like a New York or LA. And so, yeah, that's sort of our, our game plan. Hopefully we don't fuck it up. <laughs> is it any, is it in any way like a continuation or is there any connection to the, the previous versions? No, it's a spiritual successor. Um, we did not, again, no shade, um, but we did not want to do the like L word generation Q version of it it's its own thing if you've never seen queer spoke it'll work um it takes some of the dynamics from the originals very loosely character dynamics um and whatnot but it's otherwise totally new story just again spiritually i would say linked to those shows um and who knows maybe in the future we do some fun easter eggs but we want to establish it as its own its own thing and yeah, I think people are going to like it. It's really, it's, I'm very excited about it so far. When, when do we get to see it? Uh, they haven't announced yet, um, but I would guess uh, early summer of next okay. year, I would say, um, is probably a good bet. If maybe if there was a time of year where big corporations liked gay things, maybe mm-hmm. that would be, maybe that would be a time that maybe, I mean, I don't know that. Just speculating. Mm-hmm. Speculating. Maybe. If such a thing were to exist, okay. If there were a month where mm. such a thing happened, maybe okay. this would happen. I'm going to get in trouble for even just speculating. But. 
Okay. Well, I mean, but honestly, I mean, you're just, you're just spitballing. Um, in New Orleans, is there time for dating? <laughs> yes, there is. Um, okay. Let's get into it. There is. Well, especially now, because we don't start, once we start shooting, no way. But until we do, she's out in these streets. Um, yeah, it's been fun. I've met some cool people. I've flown some people out, which was a mistake from LA. Um, you know, just cause you know, you meet people and then you leave LA and you're like, well, a flight to new Orleans, isn't that expensive? Like, come on, like we'll have a weekend. And that has maybe blown up in my face at least once so far. Why? Because it was, it, it was someone that you didn't know as well as you thought you did or how did it blow, it blew up? up? Because we'd gone on a couple dates and it was going really well. And then they, you know, you can say you came out here just because this is where I am and there's no pressure. And I mean, I'm polyamorous. I'm very non-monogamous while still being like, you know, respectful and open, ethically non-monogamous, whatever. And so it's very easy to tell people like no pressure. Like if you want to do this, this would be fun, but no, no worries. And then people are like, yeah, I'll do it. Let's come. Let's all fly to New Orleans. And then they get there and it's still like, oh my God, I flew across the country to see this person. I'm overwhelmed. I am freaking out. And then, you know, and so, yeah, that's, that's not always great. Um, but I did, I've met somebody here. I really like, we're like in that friend, we're very good friends, but we're queer friends. So we make out and sleep together sometimes. And um, they're amazing. I love them so much. Um, we are like definitely, definitely got like queer family vibes already, which is cool. Their name is D. I'll put them on blast a little bit. Okay. <laughs> they use he, she, they pronouns. They were assigned female birth, but um, are non-binary slash fluid and just like such a vibe, such a cool vibe. Like, I don't think they will mind me saying this, but just like it captures the vibe, which is just like still has a beautiful assigned female birth body in a bunch of ways, but has a mustache and a mohawk. And it's like, this is very queer. I'm like very here for this. Amazing. And so um, that's fun. But I would say like, they're probably my like closest friend here. And so we hang out a bunch and, you know, it's, it's, you know, we both see other people. So it's not like a, but it's very fun. It's nice to have, it's nice to be in community. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And you have had obviously a much more eventful pandemic than so many of us. Uh, coming out as trans during this time uh, uh, must be so wild in so many ways. But um, and I'm sure you've had some very interesting coming out conversations uh, over Zoom, over the phone, in person. Is there is there like one in particular that stands out as especially meaningful? Um, that's a good question. Yeah, I would say there are two uh, that I'll tell quickly. The first was I was with somebody for five years um, before I came out and we broke up. Um, we lived together. It was like a whole thing, but we're still best friends and she is my family and she handled it so beautifully. Um, she just came home one day and I was like, we need to talk. And she was like, Oh no, what happened? And I was like, uh, I'm a girl. And we had talked about it previously many years ago and sort of dismissed it and put it back into the reaches of the closet. But this time we really, it was the real talk and, she was and has been just such a wonderful support and is my favorite person on the planet still. 
Um, her name's Rapinder Gill. She's like a brilliant writer, executive producer of Shit's Creek, just oh. like a, a genius. My fiance knows Rupinder. Because she's Canadian. She's Canadian, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Oh, this is not the first time Rupinder has had her name uh, mentioned on this show. She's come up a few times. Yeah. Is that right? Oh, that's amazing. I love it. Yeah, Rupinder's she's my the best friend. friend. Still, she's the greatest. Um, we share a dog still. This dog specifically. It's a podcast. It's a visual media or it's a audio medium. What am yeah. I doing? Listener, we are so seeing, we're seeing some great tattoos, listeners. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, so she just she's handled it so beautifully, and I I think it's always worth mentioning it because when a breakup happens in the aftermath of someone coming out as trans, I think often there it's a hard thing for the person who isn't coming out as trans because everybody certainly in our orbit is just going to be focused on the fact of oh my god that's so good for her like that's good for Jacqueline, like how brave, like whatever. And it's like, well, we're better to do anything wrong. And yet our relationship doesn't exist anymore. Um, or at least in that form. And so I always like to sort of point out like, you know, she's such a wonderful and has been such a wonderful support and ally. And so that's, that's been really amazing. And I'm very lucky to have, uh, her in my life still. And then the other person is my sister. My sister's a Republican economist who works on Capitol Hill. And I was nervous about that. And she was the best. In fact, she, I won't go into too many details to not blow up her spot, but she quit her job and said that she couldn't work for somebody who hated her sister. And amazing. Yeah. And and then she sent me a list of names for uh, middle names because I was John Patrick before. And so she's like, what does the P stand for now? And I was like, I don't know. I got to figure that out. And so she sent me a list of P names that she thought were becoming. And so I, I picked one from that list. And so that was like a, felt like a sisterly thing to do. And so she and I have actually become much closer mm. during all this, which has been really remarkable and wonderful. And it's really great to have. I've always had a sister, but it's really great to be a sister. Wow. That is walking the walk for yeah, your sister. She's really, she's the, she's the real deal. She, she's a good, she's a good egg. God. Wow. That's beautiful. Jacqueline, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I mean, I would love to have you come yes. back. Um, there are a million more things that, that we'd love to ask you about. But um, Anytime. What we're going to do, Matt, is we're going to fly down. We're going to fly down to New Orleans. We'll just do that. Oh, my God. We will have a lovely time. It will be debauched and amazing. I can't wait. <laughs> We've earned it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>